I'm sure you received your fair share of welcomes, but I'll welcome you again. Welcome to the yeshiva, to the Yerzah Yimeyim Tanach. As is our custom, Bezus Hashem, we're resuming after uh, our hiatus for Corona. So we always try to take a look at the Book of Books, the saga of Jewish history, Sher Shirim Asher Lishlomo, the great saga of the Jewish journey, allegorized as a courtship between a mighty king residing in an ornate temple in Jerusalem and a peasant girl who prefers the vineyards of Ein Gedi. And uh, the courtship and the romance, the setbacks, the disappointments, the frustrations, the detours, the failures, the weaknesses, and of course, the eventual reunion. And our relationship with our husband, our Kaddish Baruch Hu, our king in heaven, the Melech Malchem Lachem, held so much promise. The miracles, the desert, the Yamsuf, Harsinai, the entry into Eretz Yisrael. But unfortunately, we met with such trauma and betrayal, disappointment and setbacks, and we were sent out of the palace for a 2,000-year journey through the wastelands and wilderness of time, and we have been scraping our way back for thousands of years, returning to that marriage and to the reunion of that marriage. The great allegory of Jewish history, as Rabbi Akiva called it, Kodesh Kodashim, the sanctity that comes with Jewish historical consciousness and participating in the great struggle of Jewish history. Now, of course, we all know how Jewish history ends. We've read the prophecies. I think we do. General. Maybe you're already predicting. You're predicting the shear. Okay, wait. Wait a little bit. Okay, we all know it's supposed to end at some point. There's always one troublemaker. We already found the troublemaker within three minutes. We all know how it's supposed to end. Reunion, reconstruction, the resurrection of our romance with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We're meant to return to Yerushalayim at some point. Hashem will take us back as his bride and restore that marriage. So if we know how history ends, we should also know how Shir Hashirim ends. If the historical timeline ends with the restored marriage, then so should Shir Hashirim, the mashal, the allegory, end with the restored marriage. And lo and behold, the great Sefer, the story of all stories, the sacred story ends. They're sitting in a garden. You have Tanakh. If you have the Tanakh, they'll look at the sheet, the last Pasuk, Perichas. Hashmi'ini. Someone asks the woman, let me hear your voice. Call me. I just want to feel you. I want to hear your beautiful voice. I want to feel close to you. Talk about being spurned. What does she say? Brach dodi, run away. Be a goat. Be a gazelle. Run to some mountain. That's how the romance ends? Run away. What a bizarre ending. Where are they holding hands, walking down through the sunset, happily ever after, married for good? Brach dodi, run away. That is the question we are going to tackle today. The last Pasuk of Shir Hashir, the runaway. Now just to highlight how bizarre this ending is, let's see how some people try to reconfigure it. And we'll, of course, these are not literal reconfigurations because the literal meaning is just so strident. But So for example, the Eben Ezra, on your source sheet, this is now second page, the back page, number four, we're discussing the last passage. We're going to pan backwards. How does Yevonezer describe Brach Dodi? I'll paraphrase it to you. They're all sitting in the garden, and her husband's worried that if she sounds too romantic, 
that his friends will say, oh, you're just in love with her. You used to be our friend. They used to play games and sports with her. Oh, you're his lover. You're now a traitor. So he asked her, you know what? Just make believe you're telling me to get lost. Tell me to run away. My friend would say, all right, let's get back to the cigars and poker. And I'll meet you somewhere else. It's all one big decoy. Because if she's too romantic with him, what are the friends going to say? So this is not a runaway. This is a planned decoy, a planned deception. Make believe the Ebenezer says, source number Aleph. Don't, don't be too romantic. I know you're waiting for me. They're listening. What are they going to say? I'm in love. Just make They should imagine that I'm really with them. I'll catch up with you later. It's just all one big plan. It's so irregular for the Ebenezer to deviate so dramatically from the text, but the alternative is just too inconceivable. Run away? Get lost? So the Medrash is a little bit more moderate, and the Medrash doesn't really see this as one big deception. That can't be. But how could this be the description of the end of days? So bumps it backwards. The Medrash bumps it backwards. This isn't the end of time. This isn't the end of history. This is an earlier, earlier stage of history. When the Jews are leaving Yerushalayim, everything seems dark. Everything feels lost. The Jewish people say, Kodesh Baruch will run out of Jerusalem and come back to us one day on those mountains. So source number Beis, Barach Dodi, Emasai, source number Gimel, part four Gimel, one of the last sources, Emasai, beyond Shechara Beis HaMikdash. This thing isn't happening at the end of time. This is 130 AD, 70 AD. Come back to me. Go to know how to come back. They've got real great trap, uh, tracing and, and, and uh, homing device. So come back to me. So it's a little more literal than the Ebenezer, but you pay a big price. If the last Pasuk of Shir Hashirim is describing 130 AD, then you've got 2,000 plus years of Jewish history that are unaddressed by Shir Hashirim. Essentially, the book of Shir Hashirim ends in 130 AD with our hope that a Kodesh Barker will return. We'd like to think that Shir Hashirim is panoramic. We'd like to think that it is a timeline of all Jewish history and the entire relationship. If you bump this Pasuk back to 130 AD or 70 AD, you've got 2,000 plus years that are unaddressed. So this is our challenge today. What is happening in this last Pasuk of Brach Dodi? Now, to do that, we have to zoom out. You can't just look at the last verse. We have to look at the last section. And when I say last section, that's already a very, very committed or, or uh, provocative question, because how do you divide the book of Shir Shir? How do you partition into sections when you're trying to find the last section? Ah, so you're already ahead of the curve. Most people would say, just look at the prakim. But those are foreign. Those are foreign implants, and they're very awkward. They're very clumsy. They don't really capture the flow. Some want to say you can split it in half, because ironically, we won't discuss this today, this spurning, or this brach dodi, actually occurred earlier in Shia Shia. You have a Tanakh, you want to take a quick look back. In the end of Perak Gimel, she says something similar. So it could divide in half, but the more accepted, traditional way to divide it is it divides into five. How do you divide it into five? There are five sections, and each section is cordoned off by the chorus. There's a chorus that occurs four times in the Sefer, the oaths. Hishbati yeschem benos Yishalayim, im ta'iru v'im ta'aru es ha'va'at shetech ba'at. slight differences. 
And this serves not just as a chorus, but it serves to stabilize the conversation because love runs hot and it runs cold and it can be very meteoric. So every time the love is rushing ahead too far or slowing down, there's an oath. Don't upset it. Into iru, into oriru. Don't overexcite it. Don't overheat. Don't get too cold. Just wait until it's natural evolution. So that oath occurs four times. The final iteration, it's a slightly different oath. Again, if you have your Tanakh, you'll see it. If you don't have the Tanakh, it's a Pasuk right before the Pesukim that I listed. But it is, if you're following, Parakhes Pasuk Dalet. Ishbat Yeschem Benos Yishalayim, Mata'iru, Umata'iru, Es Ahava, Ajitechbaz. So it's fairly obvious that we're entering a new section because we've had that literary stop, the literary divider. Now we're on to a new section, and this is a section of Ten Psukim, which concludes with the runaway. Flee. Run out of here. Okay. What is this section comprised of? This section of ten verses, as you have on your sheet or in Tanakh, subdivides into four fragments. We're going to have to take a look at each of those fragments carefully to set the table for this final crescendo, this final climactic scene. The ten verses, the ten psukim, subdivide into four fragments. One of three, a second one of three, the third fragment is two verses, the fourth fragment is two verses, our concluding fragment. Okay, we'll read them quickly. We'll try to detect general trends that all four share in common. Then we'll dive into each and try to get a sense literarily what's happening, allegorically what's happening, what this teaches us about redemption and how this figures into this runaway theory. Run away from me. Okay? Three, three, two, and two. In terms of being able to identify the structure, the first three we'll call a love sonnet. It's fairly similar to what's happened before. There are differences, but it's sweet nothings, love conversations, intimate affection to talk. It's a love sonnet. The next three are a dispute between those brothers and the girl. Brothers have one thing in mind, girl has another thing in mind. We'll call that the dispute with the brothers. The third section is very cryptic, and that's really where this is all going to fall, it's all going to land, is two different vineyards, two different versions of what a vineyard is meant to be. Kerem Hayel Shlomo, Karmi Shali. Final section is, let me hear your voice, run away. So we'll call the first section a love sonnet, the second section a dispute with the brothers, a third section two vineyards, a tale of two vineyards if you want, and the fourth one is run away. So let's read them very quickly, see if we can detect some general trends. We'll dive in a little more deeply afterwards, and then we'll try to set up the conclusion. Okay, what happens in the beginning? Let's, let's start. Mizos, very, very briefly, Olam someone is observing this woman coming from the desert. They're shocked, they're impressed, she looks impressive. We've had this before. Mizos Hanishkafa, Kimo Shachar, Perek Vav, Pasuk Yud. Mizos Olam Minamavar, Perek Yimo, Pasuk Vav, if you want to turn back. So we've seen this before, but she's coming from somewhere, she's coming from the desert. She's very attached to her husband, Mr. Pekas El Dodo. That's a word that appears once in Tanakh, it means attached, fused to, can't, can't get her off her, around her, his arms. She talks about an apple orchard, we've seen the actual, so we've seen apple orchards before, but now it's a little bit different. Your mother gave birth to you, so it's birth and regeneration. Something's happening in the past, but right? he's an older person, he's an adult male, he's, she's talking about their birth or his birth, 
and his mother, and Orar Ticha in the past. So there's some, something happening in their past that she's referring to. But then she says, Simeni kachosam alibecha, kachosam mozarecha, put me on your arm, on your heart, like a signet, like a ring, because love is unquenchable, it's as deep as fire, and the waters can't douse it. Kiava kama v'sabi, we all know these seven kashak yashol, kina, risha ferish ve'eshal hebet yak, mayim rabim, we all know these, so about how deep their love runs. And she says, by the way, if anyone will pay me off not to love you, forget about it. And yitenli, Let's say wants to pay me off. Now again, the water is not down it, but I'm not taking any bribes. Don't give me any payoffs. I'm dismissing that guy offhand. That's the first section. Second section is now these ornery brothers sipping. They got a little dirt girl. She's not really ready for that day. Presumably that day of marriage. She's a chotlan of kitana v'shadayim eila. Manasel achoseinu. You know, let's think. Maybe she's a wall. Maybe she's a door. We'll see what we'll do with her. Maybe if she's a wall, we'll build something more ornate. If she's just a door, maybe just a wood plaque. We're not sure what we're going to do. And she says, wait a second. Ani choma. Shaddai kamigdolos. I'm more than you expect. And I'm ready for this union. Kimose, I'm ready for some harmony. Not your descent and contentiousness that you've been showing me. Throughout Shir Shirim, as we'll see. Section three. Section one, love sign. That love is deeper than water. I remember the apples. I remember the desert. Section two, we have one set of plans for our little, you know, our little daughter who used to make, uh, make hamantashin for us, but now she wants to get married, and she has a different plan. Wait, I'm a big girl now. I've grown up. You don't see me the way you should see me. Section three now. Karen, this is the hardest, but let's just rebuild just very quickly. Karen Hamon, he has either a vineyard or many vineyards, not clear. Either way, they're very profitable. There are people watching it. You don't watch a vineyard that isn't fertile. And you can make a thousand scale. You can scale this a thousand times, make a lot of money, which is what you want to do with a vineyard. Someone says, no, I don't want all that. I don't want LF. No trim. I want Karmi Shali Lefana. I want one vineyard in front of me. And here's a very, very distant. You take your thousand and you take your thousand people, money, profit, your two hundred uh, takeaway for the people that are watching, and I don't want to hear from you. I want just the Karmi Shali. Okay? Who wants what? What are they discussing? Hard to know. And the final scene is the runaway. She's sitting in a garden. Remember, things are moving really quickly. A minute ago, she was in an orchard. Maybe not geographically, but at least mentally. They were in an orchard state of mind. Now they're in a garden. She's sitting in the garden. But there are people listening and eavesdropping. And someone, presumably the husband, says, Hashmini, let me know. Talk to me. That was the loving coveting that he had in the beginning. Let me hear you. Get away. Become a gazelle. I'll see you on some aromatic mountain. What are the two trends we see in these overall four sections before we dive into each of them? Two things leap out at us. Number one, there are a lot of voices in these temps. Shir Hashirim is a very private conversation. It's a dialogue between a woman and a man. and He shares his feelings, she shares her feelings. And it's a rotation. Shir Hashirim. It's two people speaking. There are moments that other voices creep into the narrative, 
but they're very, very limited, and they're very, once in a while we hear the Benos Yerushalayim, and once in a while we hear the Shomrim speaking, but there's very few people speaking. Maybe there are people on stage, but they're, they're props. They're not speakers. There's a lot of noise here. There's a lot of people. It's hard to even follow who's on stage, who's off stage. It's very difficult just to literally glue it together. Someone observes her and says, Mizos Midbar, in the beginning of the love sonnet. Without waiting, she interrupts him and says, By the way, before that person even describes her, there's no description. I love him so much. I remember the apple orchard. I remember being together under the apple tree. And the brothers have their say. She responds to the brothers. Someone announces, someone surveys all of Shlomo's vineyards. We don't know who that person is. It could be him, her, or a narrator. Hard to know who the person saying, Kerem Someone responds, Karmisha Lilifanai, probably him or her, certainly not the narrator, probably definitely not Shlomo, but someone's responding, Karmisha Li, I want my own vineyard. And then because of so much noise, someone says, Please raise your voice, I can't hear you. Hashmini isn't just a love solicitation. I just can't hear you. Two people speaking in these last two episodes. A lot of static. You can't hear. Hashmini. Then she says, run away. This is too much. So it's a very, very noisy section with a lot of people on stage. That's like the grand finale. Everyone gets up to take a bow. But you ruin the narrative that way. You take the bow after the closing scene, not during the closing. A lot of commotion. That's number one. Number two, and these are both absolutely crucial for when we start to drive our way through the actual narratives, we're meeting a very different girl than we've seen until now. The girl from Engedi that we've encountered until now has been very timid, very meek, afraid of her own shadow, lacking self-esteem. It's part of the problem. How is she going to marry the king? Their worlds are just so different. And you could start to extrapolate the allegory of trying to build a relationship with the transcendent God. So in the beginning, in Paragalb, I'll just cite some of the more familiar psukim. Shekharani Venava. I'm not that attractive. I'm blackened. But look on the inside. Inside, I'm probably very attractive. Al-Tiruni Shani Please don't look too carefully at me. Kale Kedar Kiyotsha. I may look like blackened tan hides of a tent, which are ugly looking, but if you look a little deeper, I have some charm. Wait a little. And then he summons her for a rendezvous, and she says, I can't. Samuni no teras akramim, karmishali lo natarti. He has his mind on the villages and the orchards and the naskir bakfarim. She says, I can't. Samuni no teras akramim. They put me in charge. Sholem Hilchubal, there are foxes. Oh, shucks, I just can't come. It's too busy with the foxes. Finally, in Barakay, what's it to come out? He's knocking at the door. It's cold outside. It's raining. My, my beard is full of icicles. Just let me in. I'm your husband already. Presumably they got married in the previous section. She says, oh, I've got to take my pajamas off and get dressed and put her on a gown and get to the door. All this just to open the door for my freezing cold husband. Okay, I'll finally get up. Time she gets up. So this isn't a woman of confidence and brazen and assertiveness. This is a meek country mouse. And that's the problem. Who is this girl in the end of Parachas? 
Who kidnapped the woman of Shira Shira and put an imposter? It's like a body double. She's confident. She's defiant. She doesn't wait for anyone to describe her. Right? You expect, source the, the first passage, describe her body like, like in every other place. She smells like this. She looks. She doesn't wait. By the way, I'm talking now. Grab the mic. She starts grabbing the mic and describing her love for her husband. Telling people, if you dare try to pay me off, forget about it. I'll mock you. says, what is she a mocker? She's the mocked. She's the one who's used to being victimized or at least seeing herself in unfavorable light. It's favorable light. Now all of a sudden, Bozia Busu. And then she stands up to her brothers. Those tyrannical brothers who in the past held her back from rendezvousing with her husband because she had to watch their vineyard because they couldn't watch the vineyard. She just takes her marching orders from them. And they're questioning her. She says, you think I'm in an inferior grade. I know my husband will like me more than you do. And of course, in the end, either he or she says, I don't want those thousands of vineyards. Don't offer me a thousand vineyards and all that, all those stocks and options. I take it. She says, I don't want the stocks and others. I want a small vineyard, small, quiet vineyard. And then she's so brazen, she doesn't just defy the mockers. She didn't just stand up to the brothers. She doesn't just stand up to the profiteers. She didn't just defy the water, fire, grave, and death. Because nothing matters to her. But she tells the husband, run away. Those are the two metashits that occur in these last ten verses, these last ten seconds. Number one, a lot of people on stage. A lot of voices. Very noisy. Number two, She's much more confident than anyone we've seen until now. As we make our way through the four sagas, the four fragments, let's keep those in mind. Okay, so now, essentially, we're beginning. Now we're beginning the share, getting a sense of what's happening in each of these fragments, on our way to that final response. And then, of course, I'm always knowing to end the share with a story about Ravamital that relates to the share. This is something that we launched, so save a few minutes for the Ravamital story. Okay, what happens in that first fragment, that first love sonnet? Let's start to deconstruct it more carefully. Okay. Mizos ola min hamidbar, misrapekes al doda, tachas hatapuach orarticha, shama chiblascha imecha, shama chibla yeladascha. She's emerging from the desert. On a literal level, why would she be emerging from the desert? Because she's coming to her husband, who's in Yerushalayim. And she's arriving from En Gedi. And if you arrive in Yerushalayim from En Gedi, you're walking through a desert. Imagine standing at the Kotel, facing the Kotel. If you look to your right, which is east, you see Midbar Yehuda, which ends with the Yam HaMelech, En Gedi, En Bokeh area. So let's say that's the Kotel. Standing there and looking there, she's arriving from En Gedi. But why do I need to know that she's arriving from the Midbar? Why is the Midbar important? What is the Midbar conveying? What? what? Right, well, well, it may be contained two Midbars. And of course, the other glaring metaphor is there's a Midbar and there's an apple. Mizos Olam Min Hamidbar, she says, Tachas HaTapuach Ararticha. And it's something to do with a birth or gen- genesis of something. It's going back to a genesis of a, of a birth. Right? Not his actual birth, but something allegorical. 
So Chazal, when I say Chazal, I'm giving you a broad brush, broad summary of Chazal. Chazal very often look at a particular moment in Jewish history and attach it to the text, but that particular moment is just reflective of broader Jewish history, because everything in Jewish history is cyclical in patterns. So they pick out a certain section in Tanakh, or a certain event, or a certain generation, they're describing a phenomenon that happened to come to fore, to the surface, and that you should read Shirashim on at least three levels. The literal story, Chazal's extrapolated allegory, and then what that means beyond that particular moment in history about David of Shalom, um, the Chormesa, what it means about Jewish history taken large. Because I'm not going to give a historical treatise, I'll target an, an event or a moment or a person, but that person is more of a microcosm, of something larger. So, as you said, Chazal see this as a desert, but the desert contains two. It's a, it's a dual metaphor. On the one hand, the desert of magic, the desert of our past, the desert of Harsinai, the desert in which our relationship was born, in which there was a great love that was awakened, a great love that was awakened under a tapuach. We'll read this in a moment in Rashi. The tapuach is seen as a metaphor for Harsinai, which could resemble something, a dome hovering above them in a canopy-like sense where there's a climax to the marriage. Let's take a look at Rashi. This is how Rashi reads this bit of sweet nostalgia. So now we are on source number one, Rashi. Sometimes I quoted the matter, sometimes I quoted Rashi. There's a lot of interplay, interplay between the two. I just wanted to make it as clear as possible. So here Rashi is a little bit more direct. So, Mizos. Mizos, sign, line number one. End of line, Kama hi chashuvazos. Look at this beautiful woman. This impressive woman. She emerged from the desert. All these beautiful gifts. Everyone sees how beautiful she is. Now she interjects after that observer says how beautiful she is. Remember, underneath her Sinai, it resembled an apple, not an apple tree, but an apple. So there's clearly nostalgia about the past. Captured by the word aratich, you have to catch. Part of what makes this, these temps so hard to read is not just the interplay of voices, but the interplay of tenses. There's a lot of future, past, present. You'll see within the one pasuk, us, shalom, then, before. So you have to follow the historical timeline. But clearly, the first part of this love sonnet is retrospective. You were born, we were excited, our relationship was brought into being. So there's a sweet nostalgia about the magical desert. But of course, this is the end of Shir Shirin. And if we're meant to maintain historical integrity, this is the end of history. And in the end of history, however we define it, the Jewish people are not returning from a magical desert. They're returning from a torturous desert. 2,000 years of desert. Nothing magical about that. 2,000 years of suffering. 2,000 years of hardship. 2,000 years without HaKadosh Baruch Hu's immediate presence. And that same phrase, Mizos Ola Min HaMidbar, captures both. There's something about those two deserts. The first desert of history affected the trip through the second desert. If you jam two metaphors or two ideas into one metaphor, you expect there to be some interplay or some symbiosis between them. Something about that first desert and that first apple affected the trip through the second desert. Okay, so what happens? So she interjects, talks about the desert. She asserts, again, Simeni kachosam alibecha, kachosam alzerecha. Maybe like a signet ring on you. There's a level of closeness. We'll talk about this a little bit later, what the signet ring may may symbolize, but she wants to be closer on his arm, on his heart. Simeni kachosam alibecha, kachosam alzerecha. 
And now, this is the second major aspect of this love sign. Pay attention because this is really where things start to shift. If I asked you to describe your love for, what metaphors would you use? Well, it's not hard. It's open shirashira. Landscapes, sunsets, fruits, animals, seasons, sounds, smells, precious metals, no shortage. How does she describe her love? Death, graves, fire, jealousy, floods, torrential rains. Woo! <laughs> They're a type A personality. The <laughs> first day. Ki aza kamavet ahava kasha kish okina. Rishafa rishve shall have it ya. Mayim rabbi loich limachabos is tahava. And how is life tefuha? Why this death? Why this darkness? When did it become Gothic? The answer is, again, Chazal extrapolating the story to the allegory, the allegory to the broader conversation, is she's telling her husband, I've come from the desert, but the faith of that first desert steadied me in that second desert and allowed me to face unimaginable odds, inconceivable hostility and anger and oppression, and people wanted to kill me for the love of you, were jealous for the love of you, wanted to overwhelm me, wanted to seduce me. I've outlasted it. And here I am to tell the tale because now I'm confident in our relationship. 2,000 years ago, I wasn't confident because I didn't have that track record. But now there's a track record. And that changes the tone of our relationship. I'm not this country bumpkin afraid of my own shadow who can't meet you in the palace. Now I have an identity of my own. I'm facing our relationship with a whole different set of expectations and background. So let's see Chazal eliciting this from the death imagery, source number Rashi, source number one. This is the second section of Rashi, source number one. It's cost me death, or at least it challenged me to death. I was killed because I loved you so deeply. The nations are jealous that I was selected, and the jealousy erupted in hostility and anti Semitism. That is the first shift of the first fragment. That's the shift of the first fragment. She gets a voice. She becomes confident. <coughs> she speaks about the two deserts, the desert in which faith was born, the desert that she had to navigate with her inconquer- unconquerable, unquenchable faith. And now she's proud of herself, and she's facing that husband of hers on totally different terms. And that's why she can say things like, She can encourage him or politely ask of him to be bound to him in ways that she couldn't before. But you didn't let him in, though. Right. This is thousands of years later when we, right? In the text, it takes you five minutes to read. In history, it's thousands of years later. Thousands of years after. When she didn't let him in, well, part of the reason she didn't let him in is under confidence because we didn't have the track record of Jewish martyrdom and Jewish heroism. Now we have that track record. So this is how the first fragment ends. Again, there are four fragments, three, three, two, and two. The first fragment, which we're going to call our love sonnet, it ends with inc- unconquerable, unquenchable faith. It can't be, de- it can't be uh, defeated by death threats. It can't be overwhelmed by rivers and by waters. And if, it can't even be seduced away. That end, that last passage, that I've been reading that extensively of the fourth section, in Yitainli Ish Kohombe So, 
the last pasuk, even if you don't want to retain ish, es kol hon beso v'ahava, even if you try to pay me off, I'm not buying it. I'm not purchasing that. So you can't beat it out of me, and you can't seduce it out of me. Okay. Here we get to the second fragment. And now it's not just a conversation between her and her husband, between Am Yisrael and HaKadosh Baruch Now the brothers are here. And the brothers, of course, as I mentioned before, have been antagonists to the storyline. They were the ones that forced her to watch the vineyard at the expense of meeting her beloved. In fact, in an earlier section, she very, very innocently asked her husband, can you be my brother? Can you be my mother? So she obviously needs a brother replacement. Because she's not too happy with the brother she has. So when the brothers walk in, it's a Darth Vader moment. This is You hear the Darth Vader sounds. These aren't friendly people. This isn't friendly fire. This is going to be a confrontation. And a confrontation it is. And the brothers are already starting to imagine Now there's a day that has to be calculated. It has to be orchestrated. What will we do with our sister on that day? Have to think about what that day means, because now we're not just describing theoretics. There is a day, and there's a decision, and there's going to be something on that day, and we have to think about how, how that day will go down, as we would say. Now, the brothers lodge three doubts. I call it two doubts and one exploitive, exploitative comment. One doubt is, a little sister of ours. You know, she cleaned up after the after the meal. She made us uh, brownies. Uh, so she wants to get married. She's ready to get married. Not ready to get married. So they're doubting. They're skeptical. But they're not just skeptical in general that she's too young. There's also an insidious suspicion. Hmm. Even if she wants to get married, is she a wall or is she a door? Now, for a young girl, that question is not just an architectural question. You like doors and walls. It's a very, very personal and insidious question. Are you a wall, virtuous, protected, or are you a door that swings? Some of you may have just studied Nusechas Ksuvos in Dafyomi. What is the euphemism in court for a woman who hasn't protected? Pesach Pesuach Matzas. They found the door open. That's how it's described when they're describing the contract of the Ksuva. Again, we won't talk in those languages, but those that it was a legal conversation. It wasn't, it wasn't meant to be heard. with you know, offensive these comments like that today. We're going back to Shlomo Melech's time. That, that's a question. Now they're, they're not just saying she's too young to get married. Now they're saying, wait a second. She deserved to get married. She'd been a wall? Maybe. She'd been a door? Maybe not. The third part of their challenge, now this is a contentious moment. This is a face-off. third part of their challenge is, and if she does get married, we're going to dictate the terms of this process. Look how selfish they're being. Im chomahi We'll build the plaque. Now, whether they want to build a plaque for fame or for profit, it's hard to know, but no one's asking her what plaque she wants. 
or what ornamental decoration she wants. They're dictating. In Delacy, that's And if she's just the door, then we'll just go cheap. We'll, we'll just go for the uh, for the shmurat, you know, for the potato cover, and not more. Because we don't want to spend too much money on it. So now all of a sudden, they're lodging questions about her suitability to get married, her record in the past, how they want to control the show. And she responds defiantly, by the way, I'm not a door. I'm not a wall. I'm a tower. I've acted beyond your rules and regulations, beyond your parameters. And because of that, I'm going to have the harmony with my husband that you don't think I deserve or can have. That's the storyline of the second fragment. What does this reflect? What's the nimshal? What does this take us to in Chazal's world? So now there's... Right, so that's what. So first, before we ask who, it's when. Now we have a day. That's what's so crucial about this section. We get a lot more focus now. The day is coming. Not just But now there's a day, decision day. Will she get married? Will she not get married? Namely, will Hashem redeem us or not? It's one thing in the previous section for us to be close, for us to be Hashem's ring and his signet and to be once again let's go on vacation a little bit let's spend some time now we have a much more conclusive question to decide will Hashem redeem us and take us as his wife and close history the way he had intended and do we deserve it which is a harrowing question and that question is being posed either aggressively by nations of doubters and naysayers these brothers our brothers, or it's just implicit. Maybe there's a disconnect between the actual literal reading and the allegory. Maybe no one's saying it, but it's it's there. It's in court. It's in the Malachi Asharis are asking the question. You know, we don't need the Umas Olam to raise that question. Let's follow this whole storyline as we get closer. These are important questions to ask about redemption, not just a gimme, not just an automatic. Do we actually deserve it? Are we a wall? Are we a door? Source number two, this is the second fragment. Now the dispute with the brothers. Achos lanu kitana, part Aleph, Elu Yisrael, we are the little sister. Kol sari umasolam, line number two, makatrigan, and they're claiming they don't deserve to be redeemed. Halalo of Devotazar, Halalo of Devotazar. Look at their record. They don't maintain mitzvahs, they don't study Torah. 70% of them are religious in the classic sense. Or even it's not the brothers, the next matter is source number base. Never al Dorship Achrisayam. This is the end. Decision day. Last day. We're a small child. We don't have any sages. We don't have any pious people. Line number three, part three. What will happen? Yes or no? Marriage or no? Redemption or not? And of course, this isn't a neutral question. If we're not redeemed, we may be annihilated because there may be wars at the end of times. So it's not just, oh, we're not redeemed, go off on your way, I'll see you in a couple hundred years. The consequences of non-redemption may be annihilation, because it's the end of history. So this is a question which Shir Hashirim poses to us. It's one thing for that first fragment, oh, let me be your signet ring, I love you, and we're such a beautiful march of the desert, we've been so faithful to you, but does that warrant redemption? And now the woman answers, Ani Choma, I have stood tall, Shaddai Kamikdolos, I haven't just protected the city, I protected the entire terrain, which a tower can and a wall cannot. A wall protects the city, a tower can look around at the overall area and skunk out potential enemies. Source number Gimel, the end, Ani Choma, the Shaddai Kamikdolos, Ani Choma. 
כך יהיו ישראל כחומה חזקה ביחודה של המקום. Very, very important myth that has to be shattered. It's a very dangerous myth in Jewish tradition called the deterioration of generations. In Hebrew it's known as Niskatnu Hadaros, Yeridas Hadaros. There are certain areas that the generations have deteriorated. For example, the closer you are to the original transmission, the less corrupted the transmission. So if you're looking about how to read a Brisa or how to pasuk in a halacha, you look back at someone that earlier transmission, which was less corrupted. That's not just a religious statement, that's just a communicative statement, right? Someone who's closer to the point of transmission. Um, we want to decide halacha questions. We want to decide moral issues that maybe we feel we've undergone certain deterioration. But the overall sense that we are feeble, we are nothing, and we are inadequate, it is a self-fulfilling prosody of enfeeblement. It lodges no expectations, no possibilities, which is twisting in the wind waiting to be redeemed. And it's untrue. And we sugarcoat the past just to perpetuate the false, the false myth, the false narrative. Not everyone in the past was such great Siddiqui. Not everyone in our world is such great Rishayim. If you look back at our generation, what I mean our generation, the generation of the last hundred years, we have rallied and faced two challenges, two tests that are unprecedented. To face a genocide, the force of which we face in the Holocaust, and not to lose collective faith. Many people lost their faith. You don't judge them until you walk a mile in their shoes. No one's judging anyone. But to be able to rebuild our Jewish community across the globe, the robust communities, our Torah, our wealth, our standing, our... Who would have imagined it? After a third of our population was decimated, half of our wealth was gutted, we're scattered across the globe like refugees, and here we are. And we didn't lose our faith. You can kill me, not with a lo, but a lu, even if you do. And then, five, six years later, we're five, six years in the sands of history. Nothing, a few grains of sand. We're invited to our homeland, and we're forced to settle it against the opposition and militancy and hatred and the anti-Semitism of it, not the entire world, but a bunch of the globe. A few years after the Holocaust, we've risen to those challenges. And when you daven in the 21st century, that has to factor into your davening. And it can't be we're nothing and we're absent and we're meaningless. That's the voice of Shia Shirin. Look back at the last 2,000 years. We may not maintain our religious discipline as much as you would like. We may not be the tzaddikim and the chachamim of the past. But one thing we know, Jews for 2,000 years kept your presence alive in this world. We didn't mass emigrate to other religions. The last 200 years, things became a little bit thorny, but no Jews are walking out of Judaism. Maybe walking into distant places from Judaism. But we've kept your place alive in this world. Ani choma v'shadai kamigdalos az hayisi. Here's the interplay between future and past. Az hayisi, we're referring to what we accomplished over the last 200 years. Hayisi, I, I was, I will be. Az hayisi be'enav kimotzei shalom. And therefore I will marry this husband of mine that I've been trying to connect with over all these seven and a half chapters of Shehashira. That's the second fragment. We're getting a lot closer here, okay? We're starting to move through history. The beginning, we were faithful. Mizos We outlasted death. Put me as a ring. Let's get close. Now there's a decision. And there's a big doubt. There's a big question mark. And some people are actually raising that question mark. And we respond with confidence. Ani choma, enough. Kemal says, Shalom. 
Okay, now the hard part. That's the easy part, that's the kiddie pool. Now the hard part. Who is talking and who is responding and what are they talking about? Karim Hayal Shlomo Baal Hamon. We're up to the two vineyards. The Shlomo now has two Pasik couplet, two Pasik fragment. He has, it's not clear if he has, let's again read the literal storyline and then we'll try to read the, the Nimshah. It's not clear whether he has one orchard or many orchards. Kerem Haya Lishlomo, so he has one, Kerem, but it's Bival Hamon, a little sheets sheet. There is no Bal Hamon, it doesn't exist. There's a Bal Ma'on in the northern part of Eber Hayarde, and there's no Bal Hamon. So the Bal Hamon, there is a lot. Not that important because either way, they're very profitable. If it's one vineyard or if it's many vineyards, a franchise of vineyards, it's very profitable. Nasana Sakerim Lenotrim, it's so profitable that you actually pay for watchmen. You wouldn't pay for watchmen. You may ask your younger sister to watch at the cost of her date, but you wouldn't pay for watchmen. So, Nasana Sakerim Lenotrim, Ish, one man, Yavibi Furyo Elef Kasef. Can make a thousand, whatever, dollars off of one orchard, each orchard, either way, there's a lot. We're going to have to really hone in on this a thousand, a thousand. While I was under, we had the number a thousand popping up. Numbers don't appear just randomly. Okay. Who sang it? Hard to know. May make a difference. Maybe the narrator, the omniscient narrator, giving us some background information. Maybe whoever's saying the second verse, we also don't know who's saying it. The second verse probably is being said by the man, Karmishali, because he then issues the last statement, Hashmini, maybe the woman being defiant. But whoever it is, they're saying... I don't want all these vineyards. I just want one private vineyard, Karmishali, and I want to go to Baal Hamon. I want it here, Karmishali the Fanai. And here, we're going to have to process this very carefully because this is a very, very strident statement. We'll see Chazal picked up on this. Ha'elef l'chashlama. You take... We don't have ugly talk like this. This is Knesset talk. This is people screaming at each other. You take your thousand vineyards and I'm going to tell you what to do with it. But sign the Nashim is Whoa. Calm down. Show your what, what, who, what's the Elf Why Shlomo here? Okay. So let's start. First of all, two things shift here. Number one, and this is an important shift that will affect the last scene. At this point, the garden's being watched. The orchards are being watched. Remember the orchard in Perak Bet was unattended unless the woman would be there. So she said, I can't come. I have to watch the orchards. I can't come meet you, she says. Or later, she says, I can't come because now everything's taken care of. There's a feeling and a sense of protectedness. There's no fear. There's no vulnerability. No one has to watch. It's all we have. We've hired help. They've hired security patrols. And second of all, this is another extremely important shift. These people who are watching are watching us and their friendlies. Because people who watch throughout Shira Shira are more often than not antagonistic or worse, violent. Namely, the Shomrim. A couple of years ago, I spoke about the Shomrim and their role in Shira Shira. But twice we had these 
awkward to violent encounters with the Shomrim. Once, if you have it enough, once back in um, Paragimel, when she's dreaming of him, she does a little night walk and a night teal. Akumana Paragimel Pasek Bet, I'm looking for him, but it's only a Shomrim. I said, uh oh. If these sentinels catch you, you may end up in jail. What are you doing out at night? And she, she slips by them. Don't really have much to do. But it's clearly, this isn't, a, this isn't a comfortable meeting. And then in Parakeh, when she has failed and there's a rupture, at that point, it's only Parakeh Pasek Zion, after she doesn't answer the door, Hikuni, they hit me. Pizza uni, they name me, Nasiris they take off my crown, they take off my jewelry. Basically, she's mugged. Now the Shomrim are no tree. And now they're not just watching the city, but they're watching the vineyard. So they're friendly, and the vineyard is now being watched carefully. What's happening? Allegorically. What's happening at this stage? We've already passed stage one. We feel comfortable with our relationship. We're confident with the Kodesh Baruch Hu. Look at what we've accomplished. We're ready. And we deserve it. So, Shereshim Shenem Hidim, right? We deserve it. What better way to end Shereshim? You're asking, there'll be a great way to end Shereshim. Shalom. We'll all recite it, the whole Tzibor. We'll recite it like Echa, like Esther. We'll recite that last Pasuk together. Notably, we don't recite the last Pasuk of Shereshim together because it's so awkward. Rachto did melech al tzvir. You don't want to say it twice. Ani shadai, a defiant statement. Ani chomal shadai kamigdalos. So that's even enough. You want to say shalom. Well, redemption is a two-tier process, and one tier may blur the other tier. And here's the core dilemma of Geula, and the core dilemma that sits at the heart of Shir Shir. I don't know if I have time to tell to you in the course of the story. Uh, I don't want to run out of time. No, no, no. I have to. I have to. I have to. Okay, I was on a guy asked me, you know, aren't Jews bigoted? You're chosen. You're better. It's a funny story, a lot of level story. No, no, no. I can't. I never want to tell a story. Basically, I have to explain to this MIT professor who thought that Judaism is bigoted because we talk about being chosen that we're the least bigoted people in the world. It blew his mind off, and I said, what do you mean? I said, well, do you know that for every Christian, you have a bullseye on your back because you have to convert to Christianity at the end of the day, so you'll be converted or eliminated. For every Muslim, you have a bullseye on your back because you have to eliminate Islam, and at the end of the day, so you'll be eliminated or converted. We have absolutely no conversion agenda. And here's the punchline. Our end-of-day scenario is not to convert any soul to Judaism. We don't have to make any extra pairs of tefillin. We don't have to make extra room in the shuls for Shabbos. But just to improve the state of humanity on their terms, to highlight a life of morality and monotheism, to model 613 so they can practice 7, to bring them to Jerusalem and to bring them closer to Hashem. Our messianic endpoint is universal. And it incorporates, incorporates all the those who aren't their enemies or want to destroy us, those who act appropriately. We have the most embracing messianic vision. Our end-of-day scenario is the most embracing. We're the least bigoted people. We're chosen not for privilege, but for responsibility. We're chosen not for luxury, but for mission. Jewish redemption is radial. It radiates from the hub. There's a hub, and it radiates. So I tried to convince this MIT professor. But herein lies the problem. There's another tier to redemption. 
and it's on a collision course with the first year. We just want to be with Hashem. We don't want everyone there. We don't want all this noise. We just want to be married to Hashem. And we'll have that private intimacy. We'll have Blad Gemara open. We're going to study Kisuvas. Feel Hashem's presence, because I'm his bride. Not just his contractor. They're all here. It's not just international or universal. It's so deeply soulful. The desire of every couple just to be together alone. Even without friendlies, even without children sometimes. All the opponents have disappeared. The Shomer Manam Notrim, the brothers are off stage. And there are two different versions for this Karen. One is inclusive. Profit, well, profit needs watchmen, and watchmen needs a lot of people, it's just a lot of foot traffic. And they're saying, he or she says, Karmisha, I don't want to go anywhere. I want a profit. I don't want any money. I don't want friendlies to be part of it. Just come to me alone in the vineyard. Karmisha, I just be together alone. Right here is the crux of the end of Shira Shira. They call it the redemptive dilemma. How do you navigate each? And in our world, people have a hard time, a hard time fusing the two. Some people are so universalistic, we're light on to nations, and we have to, but they're an image of a national calling, and a national selection is so attenuated. And some people are so focused on the national, the parochial. Their views of other people are bigoted and xenophobic. And it's an impossible, impossible process to navigate. We want them here, but I also want peace and quiet. I want so much noise. So I'll be with my husband. And that was the two vineyards. What is the vineyard? Is it a public place of profit and welfare and growth and money and protection? And was it a private place? Karmisha Lila Fanai. What will it be? And just get ready for, to me, when I first thought of this, it just shocked me. Why are we making fun of Shlomo? And why are we making fun of him with a thousand? Turn the page, look at the back of page. Page, Mara Shavua says, every time the word Shlomo appears in Shira Shira, it's a metaphor to Hashem, Malashah Shalom Shalom. It's a holy name, except for one. Of all the times that the word Shlomo appears in Shira Shira, the only time it's not Hashem, it's Shlomo, is this time. Call Shlom Hamur B'Shir Hashirim Kodesh. Chutz Mizeh. Karmi Shali Lefanai. Ha'elef Lecha Shlomo. I want a vineyard. I don't want your thousand, Shlomo. Now Shlomo's the enemy. Shlomo's the antagonist. I want to be with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. I don't want to be thinking. I want to be with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. I don't want to be with you, Shlomo, with your thousand. I want to be with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the real Shlomo, not you. Normally Shlomo and Hashem are in lockstep. I want to be with you, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, not with Shlomo's thousand. What thousand are we referring to about Shlomo? Come on. Thousand wives. Because Shlomo took a thousand wives, not out of lust, because he was trying to internationalize Jewish redemption. No diplomatic consolidation of monarchies, diplomacy, Egypt, and Hiram, and Tsar. He turned Yerushalayim into a train station. Too many women, too many idols, and then of course once there's too many women, too many idols, too many husbands, too much Baal, and we lost sight of our own husband. So he becomes the epitome of too much noise. Take your thousand, quote-unquote, orchards 
I just want one orchard, because of course, orchard is not just a place for either prophet or rendezvous, it's a place, it's a definition or metaphor for Amisra, Karma Amisra, throughout Tanakh. Now we're ready for the last scene. You can't appreciate the last scene until you've seen the first three. We're confident, we've returned from exile, We've survived fire and water and graves and monsoons and floods and and we're ready. And you think we're not ready, brothers of ours, but we are ready. And now we're facing this dilemma. We want a quiet orchard, but there's too many people in the orchard. So maybe let's go somewhere a little more private. What's the private place in Shira Shira where they expect to run the view? Without anyone around. Not a palace, not even an orchard. It's a garden. Many times I can't trace. I gave a share a couple of years ago on the role of gardens, but garden is more private. There are walls. It's less formal. It's easier for the woman to go to her garden, to go to her palace. Every palace then had a garden on the side, so it's easier to meet there. It's like in, in the back room. We don't have to sit there with all the gold and ornate silver and all the pomp and circumstance of the palace. So, so we can't, there's two people in the orchard. We can't, we can't run the in the orchard. You don't have silence. Let's go to the garden. Hayal Sheves Baganim. Ay, ay, ay. Who's in the garden? Chavarim Makshirim Lakolech. They're there also. Either they're in the garden or they're sitting near the garden. Doesn't make a difference. Whatever she says in the garden is going to be overheard by the surveillance friends. And again, look at that word chaverim. They're friendly. There's no, there's no enemies here. He said the chaverim, they want to be in the garden. And we want them in the garden. This is our messianic goal. We want them in the garden. They will be in Yerushalayim. Not in the orchards. Not conceptually. Not metaphorically. They will be in garden slash garden slash Yerushalayim of end of days. That's, this is exactly what we want. This is exactly how Yerushalayim will end. And we just want some privacy. So finally, the woman turns to her husband and says, we're not going to get it in the villages where we thought we'd get it. We're not going to have that quiet and peace and intimacy in the presence of the brothers. We're not going to have it in the orchard. We thought we'd have it in the garden. Can't even have it there because everyone's there. And you know what? We're, we're happy everyone's there. There's only one place left. Not an orchard. Not a garden. What's the one place they can run to? A mountain. A mountain. Brachdodi. Or demelacha litzvi. Al ba'ofer hayalim. Al haray That's not the garden. That's where you see the details. It's a reference. No, it's a reference to, at least according to Chazal, it's a reference to The mountain of spice. Haramoria. I'll meet you on haray there is one place with all the foot traffic and all the noise and all the passers-by and all the train station effect that we just sit with our king, with our husband. And that's the base of the Christian Haramarga. Don't run away from me. Let's run away together. Because there are too many people here. Let's run away. We want them to be here. All the confrontationalism ended. There's no confrontation here. They're chaverim. They're notrim. But there's a part of redemption that's threatened by the internationalization which we are instructed towards. 
because we turn Yerushalayim into an international city, and our relationship with Hashem as an icon for everyone, and everyone's in the orchard, and everyone's in the garden, we're also married to HaKadosh Baruch And married people want some time alone. They can talk to each other, that no one will hear. Four minutes left. But it's not just the uh, Beit HaMikdash, because that's also Beit HaMikdash. Right, but they can't enter. They can't enter. They can't enter the Beit HaMikdash. Even though they dive in towards it, they're not, not allowed to enter the Beit HaMikdash. Even if the halachos are a little bit different than the... That's our place. And I'll see you on the mountain. That's how it ends. I will see you on the mountain, because in the garden there's just too many people here. That's how Shir Shirm ends, and it, 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 it poses... The redemptive riddle. Redemption is an experience we're unaccustomed to. We have no roadmap. Shira Shim is trying to provide a roadmap. It's not just a black and white binary question. Yes, redeem, no redeem. There are a lot of issues to process, a lot of issues to go through. One of those issues are calibrating between internationalization, personalization, universalization, national experience. Okay, I have two minutes to share the Ramitel story, which is yard side, 12th yard side, a week and a half ago, Sunday and Monday. So it's a good time to. Recall Rav Amital. So I always try to pick a story because he told us and taught us so much through stories. So he once told us about Mendel, who lived in the shtetl. And Mendel's job was to wake everyone up during Chodesh Elul for slichos, for davening. And Mendel was relentless. If you slept late, there was no stopping him. He banged down your door. He poured water on you. He pulled your toes. I mean, nothing stopped Mendel from waking the community up during Chodesh Elul. Now it's Arab Rosh Hashanah, everyone's in shul saying slichos, and Mendel is heiskishlach, he's exhausted. He's dozing off in the middle of slichos, everyone's saying, Zahar Hashem, Zahar HaMecha, Adam Befaktach, he's fashlafing. So everyone tapes there. Slichos, and they crumple into a ball, they start throwing it at Mendel to wake him up. And Mendel looks at everyone bleary eyed and exhausted, he says, Can't you let me get some sleep? I'm so exhausted. I just want to go to sleep. They all look at him, they wave their fingers and say, Mendela, Mendela, you kept us up during Rul Chaydesh Elo. You think we're going to let you sleep now? That it's Rosh Hashanah. You kept us awake. Now we'll keep you awake. So Ramifel tells us, we're the Mendel of the world, Shtetl. We kept the world awake for 2,000 years. We refused to let them slip into savagery and black magic, false theologies, hatred of the other backwards, regressive cultures. We were the spearhead of progress and science, civility and faith. We kept them awake. And now it's Rosh Hashanah, the beginning of the next era. And all we want to do is go to our home and go to sleep. And they're all the same. Mandela, you kept us awake during all the last 2,000 years. You think we're going to let you quietly return to your homeland? It's not so easy. It's not so easy to be Mandela. We are charged with keeping the world awake and bringing them back to Yushalayim. But everyone, every once in a while, needs a quiet place to go and be intimate with HaKadosh Baruch Come to the mountain because everything else is just too many people and too much noise.